Tails, more well-established lesbian. Chapter 44 Sometimes you go to a local sports award night on a Monday just to be supportive, be a good coach and all of that. And you end up drunk and discover that the bar you really like does a quiz night. I love a good pub quiz, me. Friends, snacks, drinks, bit of showing off, arguments. I mean, highly debated topics. Ah, oh, I need a pub quiz team. That's what I need. That is going to go in my plan for next year. Pub quiz glory shall be mine. It's been a good year for the Royal Derby team. I'm pretty sure we didn't win anything, but we definitely won the Christmas party. It was epic. Great turnout. Me and my snowman Ty had a spectacular time. New Year, however, really drove home some of the things I'd been noticing of late. Ash and I were less and less on the same page. If she was FM radio, I was AM, and neither of us was picking up what the other one was putting down. The day before New Year's Eve, so New Year's Eve Eve, we went out with what I'd class as Ashley's mates. Pat, Sam, Charlotte. Okay, that's a bit harsh, actually. Charlotte is totally a neutral, so take that how you will. And somebody else called Kat. Not bad people, I've just got nothing in common with them. A group of women like that often take me back to my office days or school. It's as much about me as it is about them. And for Ash's sake, I ought to make an effort. You know, I really enjoy hanging out with Irene, Lily, Betty, Clemmie and Scarlett and their boys too. And so often I drag Ash along with me. As I sat there sipping my Prosecco, the girls were discussing the fake eyelash disaster that had delayed the start of our evening. I wondered if Ash felt like this around what I would class as my people. Part of the reason I liked my guys was because it didn't feel like life had to be at an 11 or a 10 just to prove that we were living it. Ash just doesn't want to know or want to operate lower than a 10 on a night out or a night in, to be honest. They're small moments, but it felt like Ash was losing the ability to read the room. I'd laugh it off because, you know, I'm an expert at diffusing tension in a room. I mean, normally I've created it, but on the whole, I'd shrug it off. But my people actually gave a damn about me as an individual. Not me and Ash. They gave a shit about me. And I'd apologise for, you know, our behaviour when Ash took things too far of a night out. I'd make excuses for her. And then the weirdest thing happened. They told me to stop. To stop with the apologies. To stop with the excuses. Finally, someone pointed out to me that I didn't have to be okay with everything Ashley did. And yeah, I had a right to feel however I felt about it. They didn't hold me accountable for Ash's behaviour. No matter how many times I tried to make it my fault, they'd point out how it wasn't. And that maybe just maybe there were better ways to resolve the situation than making myself the bad guy every single time. It felt amazing to be able to talk about the not so good stuff with people I trusted. It felt like I'd always had to be careful about what I said in other friendships. You know, Ashley and I had so few people who were independent of the relationship, so you never knew what was going to get back to who or how or... It was a lot to think about. But with these guys, there was none of that. No managing how it all appeared to them. 
No trying to live up to this weird golden couple status people had of us because we'd lasted longer than 18 months. I knew things weren't in a good place with us, and I knew it even more when we didn't make it through New Year's Eve together. I ended up back at Scarlett and Johnny's chatting into the small hours about how I was worried that my head had been turned earlier in the year and that Rome wouldn't, or couldn't, save us. Lily and her day are shadow boxing in the corner of the living room, preparing her for her white-collar boxing charity match, and I wonder to myself if it's going to be a knockout year. Well, I can't be sure what the year will bring, but I can make every effort to bring the absolute best to our anniversary. Life has been getting in the way so often, and maybe some time out with Ashley will help. Away from work, away from roller derby, away from our social life. Give ourselves a moment to reset, to remember why we're together. Now, a woman like Ashley, who drives her Audi and lives in the nice house and always has her hair and nails did, likes a bit of showy romance. So Rome is going to be a surprise until the very last possible moment. I borrow the appropriate luggage from various friends and stash it away somewhere in the house. The beauty of these old school gift vouchers I found was that I'd actually had to go into a travel agent to book it. I know, how quaint, right? The trip itself had been curated by the wonderful Amy, who was a romance fan herself. She was totally on board with my entire idea. And she was bang on in making sure we weren't in the kind of hotel that was going to pull that whole twin beds move on us. And I'd learnt from my New York mistakes and had built in plenty of let's stop in that bar or restaurant time to our itinerary. We'd have loads of time to do this because, thanks to Amy, I had confirmed that our hotel was indeed actually in Rome. Fool us once, listeners. Now there was one last hurdle. I need Ashley to take a day off work. And that day is our actual anniversary, which is a Friday. If I ask her to book it off, she's immediately going to get sus. And I can't be having that. Plan B won't work either because she's a bit too important and a bit too conscientious and a bit too decent, to be honest, to pull a sickie the morning off. Plus, she'll be pissed that she can't plaster it all over Facebook then. I ponder my predicament and I realise that I am, in fact, invited to the head of HR's impending nuptials. I have done shots with every single one of Ashley's bosses. I might just have some currency left with their faces on. A few emails later and Ashley's leave is authorised. Her boss has a cover plan ready to go and HR have even donated the day off outside of her holiday balance because I mentioned how much I'd hate it for someone to mess with mine. Done and done. All that's left is the big reveal. I don't want Ash to know exactly where we're going until the airport leaves me no choice. But I need this woman to pack appropriately for once in her goddamn life. And she has enough trouble doing that when she's booked the trip. I need to give her just enough information. A clue, so to speak. That's it. I'll give her a clue card and then a reveal card at the airport. Now, 
As it happens, our team of skaters is full of crafty, arty, talented folks, one of whom makes incredible greetings cards and stationery. And she can make it exactly the way I want. I just need to tell her what it needs to say. Okay, I can do this, sitting down with a pen and pad, I think. Just a few fun lines to set the surprise up. A couple of hours later, Gucci has made herself a bed on top of the scrumpled up, discarded efforts that are now all over the conservatory floor. Gucci is on good form, played with a ball of paper for a full 50 seconds before losing interest. I mean, that is 20 seconds over all recent records. I, on the other hand, have writer's block. I crack the back door for a bit of fresh air as I sit and I smoke, and I ponder my inability to create a decent rhyme. Gucci decides that tonight is the night that she needs freedom, and she unsticks the door enough to get herself out of it and legs it into the garden. Bloody freezing out, and the little dickheads left the door swinging open. I don't panic because I know she can't get out of the garden, but it's still a pain in the arse. This grey and black fur butt is a nightmare to try and see in the dark. So I pop the torch on my phone on and see her little eyes staring back at me. She sat just under the trees, right at the back of the garden. Doing fuck all, just staring at me. Little weirdo. She won't be coaxed in. Not with love, not with pleading, not with biscuits, not even with treats. She just sits underneath a little row of trees and glares. It's time to treat her like a toddler. Do that whole, I'm going inside now, make a big pantomime out of it. You'll be out here, all alone, in the dark. Fine, I shout to Gucci. You've been told, it's gonna get cold. And I close the door and try not to look out of the conservatory to see if she's actually trotting back up the garden. That line, You've been told, it's gonna get cold, is stuck in my head. I think it might be the first thing I've actually managed to rhyme all night. I sit down with my pen on my pad, and a couple of lines later I'm done. I send across my little verse to the card maker. The proofs arrive and they look incredible. My plan is coming together perfectly. I spend the week winding Ashley up about her surprise. I can't help myself, I'm such a wind-up merchant fake clues that could be to almost anything. Some of our mates join in, leaving cryptic messages on social media. Ashley knows something is coming, but every guess she makes is so far wider the mark. This time, no one ruins the surprise. I decide that I'm going to give Ash the clue card the night before we go. All she'll have to do is come home from work, eat dinner, enjoy a drink and pack her suitcase have been winding Ash up mercilessly, relentlessly. And so of course, karma gets me back. And as I'm sitting there waiting for Ash to come home, my phone goes. She's got to work late. Oh, for fuck's sake. The anticipation is killing me. I just can't wait to see her reaction. And actually, I can't wait to be in Rome. I've spent so long reading about it and thinking about it. I just want to be there now. I keep dinner warm and walk around the carry-on suitcase and gold envelope that I've left in the middle of the living room, exactly where her eyes fall as she puts her handbag down at the end of every day. Gucci paces with me. She's cuter when she's not refusing to come in the house. We pace for a while, and then we sit down. 
A couple of hours later, I hear her key in the front door. Ash comes into the living room, puts her bag down and clocks the suitcase and envelope. Oh my God, are you leaving me? I explode with laughter at this. How far from the truth of this moment that is. It won't occur to me until later that this reaction should have told me everything I needed to know about the state of things. Once Ashley has calmed down and realises it is an empty suitcase and I'm not leaving her, I pour her and I a glass of bubbles and tell her to open the envelope. She pulls out the thick black card with her name in gold across it. She opens it up and reads it aloud. Pack your bag and get an early night, because tomorrow morning we take flight. Now believe me, boo, because I've been told, you'll need to pack your warm stuff because it gets cold. Now she's excited. She's bouncing all over the house and pestering me to tell her exactly where we're going. I tell her I might give her another clue once she's actually packed her case. I won't but she doesn't need to know that if it'll help get her packed. It is a night of endless questions. MI5, MI6, I don't know which one it is, but one of them has missed a trick there because she tries everything. But somehow I resist and all she gets out of me is what time we need to leave to be at the airport. And I won't even tell her which airport because I know she'll only Google the flights in and out instead of packing. So at 5am on our 10th anniversary, we are standing in the airport. We can go no further without Ashley figuring it out, which means it's time for envelope number two. It just has an enormous question mark on it. I live stream the moment to Facebook for the lovely folks who've helped me set this whole thing up. They wanna see her reaction too. Ash worries about her lack of makeup which is forgotten in a heartbeat as the card reveals the skyline of Rome in gold and confirms the city above. Ash is delighted, actually squeals a little bit, and I am so chuffed to have been able to genuinely surprise her. Four hours later, Ash has had her first Italian coffee of the day, and by lunchtime we're listening to an opera singer who is using the Pantheon as his backdrop. We're away from it all on our little Roman holiday. Ten years together, and it feels good to celebrate the memories. Do you remember when we'd ask each other as we walked down the cobbled streets? Day one in Rome is a rainy, gloomy Friday of January. We dip in and out of shops, we wander in the rain, and Ash tries to avoid the looky-looky men who always think that telling her she looks like an African queen will help them make a sale. Spoiler alert, it doesn't. She's polite but firm with the first five. Number six, however, ends up two products down and he ends up walking away without any money. Her clipped British accent really drove home every scathing point she had to make. It was a wonder he didn't walk away sooner, to be honest. It's kind of intoxicating watching a woman occupy her space so resoundingly. The rain won't let up on us, so we duck into a pizzeria that's made its dining room in a glass house in a public square. Outdoors but indoors and able to watch the world go by as we dry out under the heaters and the glass steams up around us. Warmed up from the inside, we roam the city some more, 
jumping puddles and hiding in doorways when the heavens open on us. Our feet give in well before we do and we retire to the hotel. We're discussing dinner on the way back. Less than 24 hours ago, Ashley had been sat at her desk, none the wiser about this whole escapade. Between that and our early start, she'd like to find somewhere close by for dinner. She's pretty tired. And we made that fatal mistake. We sat down for just a moment in the room. 30 minutes later, our dinner arrived at our door. We just about managed a quick chat about tomorrow's activities before we were both dead to the world. Rome was refreshed as we were the next day and it looked glorious. One of those cold, crisp winter days. Not a cloud in the sky. One of the bluest skies you have ever seen. And today we were off to take a look at Vatican City. Seemed wise to get that done before Sunday. There were queues and lines all over the place and none of them actually seemed to be going anywhere. Ashley hates a queue and to be honest, if I can avoid one, I will. So we sit for a while and enjoy the sunshine in St Peter's Square. It's a pretty imposing and striking place. It's odd to think that there you are, sitting at the centre of the smallest state in the world. The concentration of wealth and power within these walls. And as we sit, I watch a man gather up small groups of people and just hurry them off somewhere after a couple of nods between them all. I'm curious, I've seen him do it a few times now. And eventually I wander over. It turns out that the enormous queue I can see is just for one of these standard public entrances. For a few euros more, I can get us a guide and no queue at all. I mean, sounds a bit too good to be true, but fuck it, why not? So like all the other people I'd seen, I got my wallet out and I paid the man. I did understand Ash's reluctance to follow this strange man, especially as he starts to lead us away from the Vatican and down a little side street. but. I'm confident. I'm more confident when a small group of people are now gathered with us in this little shop. Money is being taken from those people who only have cards on them. We all seem equally suspicious, but there's an element now of, well, we're all in this together, aren't we, huh? From nowhere appears this woman, who is our tour guide. Five foot one of concentrated Italian. A head of curly hair that bounced as much as her and her voice did pure energy and she laid every bit of knowledge she had on us from the moment our feet touched the street to begin the tour. I was glad we'd end up with a guide, someone to help tell the stories of all these lavish and ornate rooms and the never-ending procession of marble statues and to hear stories of golden toilets. She held everyone's attention every step we took through the Basilia. Sometimes you just hit the jackpot with a tour guide, one full of passion who makes it an actual joy to listen to them. Our whole group agreed and when it ended, we gave her quite the round of applause. I mean, the Americans started it, but you know, even us British folk couldn't begrudge it and joined in. She then explained that we could go to the top of the dome, but recommended that if we weren't in good shape, we should probably give it a miss. Ash and I look at each other. To the top, I ask. To the top, she says. My legs actually ache just remembering that climb. The stairwells were narrow as can be and the steps so well worn. Even normally fit people were now remarking on the amount of effort required and we hadn't even got halfway. 
There's not a huge amount of room up there. I don't suppose they ever thought thousands of people would be filing up here every day for a little look at the view. I tried to catch my breath as we stepped out into the cold air and Ash and I stood together and looked out over Rome, over the square where we'd just sat, over at the gardens where it said the first ever retired Pope liked to spend his time. The architecture was stunning from above and below. Talking of stunning things you have to see in Rome, the Sistine Chapel is on my list. I mean, you hear so much about it, it's referenced everywhere. I just need to see this place for myself. So finally, we shuffle into the chapel and it's this busy kind of quiet, like the hum of people. The rules seem to be that you need to stay quiet and not take any photos or videos. For the most part, people obey the rules and uh, you're only really reminded of them when somebody starts to get above a murmur and some guard yells, Silencio! from across the room, in between making people put their phones and their selfie sticks down. So I ever so casually just pop my phone onto my arm as I cross them and point my camera up and video the place because it is overwhelming. I'm going to need to have another look at this. You can't possibly take it all in. You'd have to sit for hours. You can see why it took forever. Your man Michelangelo probably should have picked a smaller room, you know, and maybe don't paint the ceiling if it's three stories up. I'm just saying, fella. I'm just saying. There does come a point in Vatican City where it all just starts to blur into itself. I grew up Roman Catholic. I got out before my confirmation and the opulence of the churches has always bothered me. Even in our little towns, they were fancier than they needed to be. Vatican City felt like the big version of that. And it's especially hard when you leave the place and see three homeless men on its streets, you know, less than half a mile from a golden sink. It's like they've tried to gather up as much beauty and art and jewels as possible to blind and obscure and distract from everyone seeing that their words and their deeds just don't add up. To leave a place so impressed and awed yet oddly disgusted was kind of new to me. <laughs> Though kissing Ashley in the middle of St Peter's Square gave me more than a little kick of satisfaction, I can't lie to you. Dinner time rolls around and it's the usual point of tension. 10 years in and somehow Ash thinks I'm randomly suddenly going to nail this whole ooh, let's go here for a fancy dinner. I am trying to accommodate her. She is trying to accommodate me and therefore we're getting nowhere. Google comes to our rescue. Turns out there's a food hall, canteen, cafeteria type thing down the road. Ashley has more choice than she will know what to do with. She can try anything and everything they have in there and I can sit at a big table and eat a pizza, I hope. And we get there and it is this giant hipster canteen. And it's great to be honest with you. I can sit and chill at this table and watch 20 different eateries create their cuisines. The place is an assault on your senses and you can feel the combined heat of their ovens in every corner of this enormous market hall. I am trying to work out which one of those flying pizza bases I can see is gonna be mine. While Ashley is beginning to crumble under the weight of the decision-making process, she does not know what to eat. I'm pretty sure in the end she gets pizza, and I don't blame her, honestly, it is so good. 
My only gripe about proper Italian pizza is they are dead stingy with the mozzarella. Always more cheese, lads. Always. We walk off our dinner and have a little look around Saturday night Rome. We pick up a bottle of bubbles on the way back to the hotel. Dinner had nearly been a speed bump, but thankfully it was only a little one. Sunday comes and it is all I can do not to wake Ashley with a cry of, are you not entertained? I did consider the alternative with speech. Father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife, and I will have my vengeance in this life or the next. But I kind of thought that set the wrong tone for a Sunday. So, you know, actually in the end, I didn't disturb her with either because I still need Ashley to understand that a gladiator helmet is a great souvenir for the house and it will go in our luggage somehow. I was glad I kept my gladiator quotes to myself as much as I was tempted to tell Ashley she would have to go on my second whistle. I'm sorry, that is a very UK and very 90s specific reference, but I can't help myself if we're talking about gladiators. The Colosseum was everything I wanted it to be. And I felt so very cosmopolitan as we fed Ashley's coffee habit with the Colosseum as our view. After yesterday's tour success, we repeated it once more and joined this walking guided group who took us inside and outside of the Colosseum through the Roman Forum and explained the relevance of anything and everything we were looking at. And this particular guide absolutely loved telling the tales of Nero most of all. I fell in love with the story of the Temple of Fastina. Her husband, so devastated at losing her, made her a goddess and built her a temple. On his death, he left the simplest instructions. Just put my name next to hers. I loved that. The Sunday Night Blues, however, will never hit you as hard as they do when it is the last hour or two of your trip before the airport demands you give up your pretenses. We headed home. It had been a good trip. Not a great trip, a good one. But even before the flight home, it seemed like something was bothering Ashley. Whatever it was, she was keeping it to herself. Or maybe I was just imagining trouble where there was none. I've got real problems back in the real world. Like an idiot, I've booked myself in to speak at a secondary school's career day, first thing Monday morning. Luckily, the other guy in the office is coming with me, so I'm going to let him be Mr Pep and cheer. Ashley definitely still has something on her mind, and it takes a couple of days, but finally she comes out with it. She wants to know how I pay for the trip. Oh, shit, yeah. I jump up and I run upstairs to the home office. I dig out the vouchers of thunder back down the stairs and I am clutching the vouchers in my hand. Even with me having gone for an Ashley-grade hotel on the Rome trip, there was still plenty left in the envelope. So I explain the story to Ash excitedly and how there's still enough in there for like at least a week away or maybe like two more weekend trips like we just had in Rome. Ashley's face did not reflect the excitement that I felt, did not look like this was good news. And I slowed my roll and sat down. Ashley had worked out that I hadn't paid for the trip 
out of my own money, thanks to something I'd said while we'd been away. And then she'd remembered her holiday vouchers that she had won. And she didn't think I would have had the audacity to use her own gift vouchers on a present for her. But no, I really had. I'd gone and used her money just to try and make myself look good, hadn't I? So yeah, thanks for making me pay for my own trip to Rome in the rain, she said. And why the hell did you pick Rome of all places, she asks. I've never wished I was in possession of Bernard's watch more. A watch with the ability to freeze and rewind time. And right now, that would have been a gift from the gods. At no point had it crossed my mind that Ashley would see this that way. It had never crossed my mind that it could be seen that way. The organising, the general effort, just the whole thing. It counted for nothing because in her mind, she'd pay for it. I bet she was glad she hadn't bothered getting me a card now, never mind a present, huh? Because then she'd have paid twice and no doubt been doubly pissed off. I'm so stunned by this whole point of view she has that I just apologise and I offer immediately to pay every single penny back. What else can you do? And it doesn't even really matter whether I pay her back or not because that one factor has ruined and tarnished the whole damn thing. Because apparently money is all that matters. And there's definitely no such thing as ours. I couldn't have felt more deflated. I got how it looked to her, I really did, and I just hadn't seen it that way. But she couldn't see it any other way. Whereas I could see her and my point of view, Ashley could only see her own point of view. And the fact that she was so stuck on only seeing it that way killed me. But Ashley saw me like that. Ten years down the line, and that's how she thinks of me. God, like January isn't depressing enough. Things are shit and Ashley throws herself back into work and occasionally makes cracks about buying things for herself. I can't help but wonder how she's gotten such the wrong end of the stick. Thanks for all of that nonsense. I'm not that arse when Ash says she won't be coming to the pub quizzes with me. They go on too late at night for her. And it is a fair excuse. She does have to be in the office at 7am every single day, which does make late nights on a school night a terrible idea. I mean, you can still drink two bottles of wine, you just have to start early and go to bed early, that's all. So Phoebe and Marco become my absolute besties and the base members of the quiz team. Different weeks bring in different players and different skills. And when we win the second quiz in a row, I am over the moon. At some point in mid-February, Ashley actually joins the team. It's the same night that Mila returns from her travels. It's sad times because it is just Mila. She brings us all awesome little Vietnamese hats and we're having a lovely time. But then she tells us that her and Natalie actually split up quite early on in the trip. But they carried on and made the most of it and actually they're getting on great as friends. In fact, they're getting on so well they've decided to rent rooms in the same house as each other now they're back. 
there are a few of us who tried the whole friends with my ex thing without any kind of break and we impart our gentle warnings of how this could maybe not work out so well but we all know really that these two are going to have to get to that point for themselves all i can do right now is be there for my buddy who is back just a few days later, Mila and I are hanging out and chatting about how her and Nat are really doing. Of course, it's tougher now they're back and around familiar places and friends that knew them as a couple. It was a lot easier when they were away. Maybe these two can make it as friends, I think. It has seemed like a fairly amicable breakup. Honestly, I live in hope, I really do. Especially when Mila mentions that Nat's worried that people won't like her. She's worried we'll take Mila's side but they don't seem to be any size to be taken in this situation. It's just one of those sad things that's happened. So with Mila's encouragement, I dropped Nat a text. Let her know I hope she's okay and that I'm not just Mila's mate. If she ever needs an ear or someone to go for a drink with, I'm around. And actually, it soon becomes a way for Mila to connect a little bit with Nat too. Because, you know, if Nat and I are friendly, then Mila and Nat can be friendly. The quiz nights roll on and Monday nights are now one of my favourite nights of the week. And Mila and I are absolutely in each other's pockets. She's not so much of a fan of the quiz, but we'll pretty much drink every other night of the week. We're hanging out at the house, we're going out drinking and of course, there's Roller Derby too. As a coach, I'm well glad to have her back on track. As her buddy, I regret it as I turn up to yet another Saturday morning session wondering if I'm actually still drunk mainly though this friendship offers me an escape from the tension in my relationship i've become less and less tolerant of some of ashley's behaviors and on a couple of nights out it has it's flared up between us i've seen her friends looking at me on the occasions i've snapped at ashley one of the quiz nights is on ashley's week off and she sees absolutely no need to rein it in at all most of the team has turned up to this quiz for a bit of bonding and getting to know each other. It's a fairly lively bunch, but if I say to you the room is at maybe an 8, when I tell you that Ashley is at a 16 and is acting like it should be Friday night, it can probably get how things are going. Ash was drunk before we left the house. Late, of course. I'm the one who's organised this quiz and I can't even get there on time. We're about an hour into the quiz when my lack of tolerance and patience can be heard in my tone of voice. I don't love hearing it from myself. I feel like some sort of chaperone rather than a fiancé. A few weeks later, word makes it back to me that at some point after this, Pat has taken Ashley aside during a recruitment drive for the team to let her know that if things are difficult at home, Ash could talk to her. Apparently they'd, an unspecified they, had heard the way I'd been speaking to Ashley on a number of occasions. And, as Pat said, when someone is verbally abusive and controlling like I am, it can often be a sign of worse to come. In various ways it gets back to me that Ashley's friends think I am verbally abusive to Ashley. I've never been one for other people's opinions, but... That's quite the accusation. I want to know what Ash thinks. Have I just been irritated, rude, abrupt or angry? Or have I actually been crossing a line? Has my recent resentment been showing? 
I ask her and Ashley skirts around it. She wouldn't call it that exactly, but sometimes she doesn't like the way I speak to her. I don't ever remember feeling as rocked by something as this. It consumes me immediately. I've led a blessed life, you know, when I lie down to sleep, my brain feels absolutely no need to revisit my many, many mistakes. You know, that meme that does the rounds doesn't mean anything to me. But now, now I can think of nothing else. Every word I've uttered, every tone, inflection, intonation, I am analysing it all. I haven't said anything in my defence. How could I? My intentions aren't the issue here. It's all about the impact. If Ash says that's how I'm making her feel, then that's on me. But verbally abusive. Controlling. Me. Did that really fit? Was I downplaying the impact of these moments or words? Or was Ashley overstating them? And if Ashley really feels like this, if I really make Ashley feels like this, then why has she not said something? Am I really that much of a monster to her? Do I scare her? Yeah, sure, I'm irritated when she makes us late everywhere. I'll make a smart-ass comment here or there. And yes, I can seem controlling when I'm trying to stop Ash from kicking off when she's drunk. But her friends, nor mine, See our earlier discussion in the day, where I ask if maybe tonight she could just take it a little bit easy. If tonight she could not create another situation I have to extricate her from. So that maybe I could just sit back and relax and not have to worry about Ash doing herself an injury, just walking up a few steps because she's hammered. They don't hear the 14 gentle requests in a calm tone. They hear me at number 15 when I've lost my patience, when I get frustrated. But I know in my heart of hearts it's no defence. I can't control her actions, only my own, and I am not doing a good enough job. It doesn't matter how many friends we fill our life with, it's not enough to distract from the fact that this bad patch is not getting better. And I am fast becoming somebody I do not like. Part of me really loathes Pat. If she truly believes Ash is in some kind of danger, her methods would have put Ash in harm's way. I feel like she should have come to me, told me that she doesn't like the way I speak to Ash, not planted this seed in Ashley's ear, a close up, a retreat into myself. I'm ashamed. And at the same time, I can't quite believe what's being levelled at me. I'm angry at being interpreted this way. Can't they see that if she didn't do this, then I wouldn't do that? And then we're back full circle to there being no excuse for me and my reactions. This accusation stays with me. Like a thorn that works its way into my side and stays there. I didn't feel like the villain in this piece, but that seemed to be what they were saying I was. And inside my mind it was like that Mitchell and Webb scene where suddenly I realise I've got skulls on my cap and I just might be the bad guy. It seems our relationship has more problems than I realise and I might be the biggest one. 
Hello, another week, another chapter. I have eaten my body weight in white chocolate mice today, thanks to a particularly wonderful person. So, the Sugar Rush and I are going to speed through all of the usual guff at the end of the podcast. So, first up, please go to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. Let other people know this show is totally worth binge listening. Second up, make sure you're following it on Insta or Facebook or are in the community over at Reddit. R slash T-O-A-W-E-L is where you will find me. Third, donate one pound or subscribe at ko-fi.com. That's ko-fi.com forward slash well-established lesbian to keep the show ad-free. Number four, thank you as always for the privilege of your time. And number five, take care of you.